The question was asked to test him. On seeing the goodness in others, starting with ourselves. Tell me what you see, is how I think I would phrase it. This is one way that you could phrase the question for yourself, for someone you are sitting with, as you look at your neighborhood, your community. As you scan your eyes over what is in front of you, tell me what you see. These words came to me again this morning as I listened to Krista Tippett interview Cory Booker. In the interview, Booker tells the story of walking around a neighborhood in New Jersey with Miss Jones. He says, And it was that moment when I first started on Martin Luther King Boulevard with Miss Jones where she checked me hard and she said, Describe the neighborhood. And I described it like I did to you, the drug dealing, the projects, the abandoned building. And she just said to me in a very curt way, Boy, you need to understand that the world you see outside of you is a reflection of what you have inside of you. And if you're one of those people who only sees darkness, despair, that's all there's ever going to be. But if you see hope, opportunity, if you're stubborn enough to, every time you open your eyes, see love and the face of God, then you can be a change agent here. Then you can make a difference, she said. The question of tell me what you see reveals our vision of the world, how we see our loved ones, our communities, and our world. But more importantly, the question reaches into us. It reveals who we are in that moment. The Gospel reading for today is John's telling of the feeding of the multitude. Now, John's telling of the story is different from Mark's telling. In the typical way that their perspectives are different, their vision is different. While Mark's narrative is sparse and to the point, John presents the all-knowing, already-knowing Jesus, sort of gliding along through the story as if Jesus exists a few inches above the ground. In John's telling, Jesus and the disciples are there, having gone across the Sea of Galilee in a failed attempt to have some time away. Perhaps there was an intention to rest and be alone, but the crowd follows. And as the crowd gets closer, Jesus turns to Philip and asks a bit of a leading question. Where are we to buy bread for all of these people to eat? Jesus asks. Or, as I might say it, tell me what you see. And the text reads that Jesus already knew the answer. That Jesus knew what Jesus was about to do, that this question was to test Philip. Tell me what you see. Now, what Philip sees is a mass of people, a large crowd. Philip begins thinking about what they will need, about the future need of hungry people. 
Philip realizes that they are away from anywhere that people could buy their own food. Philip realizes that they do not have near enough food for these people to eat, that it would take more than six months' wages, he says, to feed the crowd. Philip sees scarcity, that there is not enough, the potential for the crowd to turn into an unruly mob. There is worry. There is fear. Tell me what you see is the only question on this test from Jesus. Now, the other test or experiment that was on my mind and frankly in my ear this weekend was the famous experiment by Stanley Milgram. There's an interesting retelling of the story of this experiment on this week's Radio Lab. If you're not familiar with the experiment, it was, it was designed to look at what it takes to enforce obedience in another human being. Conducted in the shadow of the Nuremberg trials, where the excuse for the Holocaust was, I was only following orders, the experiment seems to show that ordinary people will perform horrific acts if an authority tells them to do so. But there is a bit of a wrinkle to that simplistic interpretation according to those who have looked closer at the research and the variations on the experiment that Milgram himself performed. In what's known as the baseline study, men were asked to administer electric shocks via a machine to another man in another room if that other man, known as the learner, answered a question incorrectly. The learner was actually an actor in another room connected via audio so that the man or, quote, teacher administering the shocks could hear the effect of the fake shock. Begging the first man to stop, the actor would scream louder and louder as the intensity of the electric shocks increased at the encouragement of the experimenter standing behind him. Often the first man, the teacher, would protest. But the experimenter would instruct the, quote, teacher to continue to shock the other man with greater intensity for the next missed question until the actor on the other end would suddenly go silent. When the teacher would protest, the experimenter would prompt the teacher in this order, using the next prompt if the prior prompt did not result in compliance. Number one, the experimenter would say, please continue. Number two, the experimenter would say, the experiment requires that you continue. Number three, it is absolutely essential that you continue. And number four, you have no other choice. You must go on. And while the most popular interpretation of the study 
is that we are all capable of doing horrible things if someone commands us to. The results are actually more complicated than that. As I understand the the academic telling the story on Radiolab, there is a large difference in compliance between Prompt 3 and Prompt 4. Compliance actually dropped when people were told that they had no choice but to shock the learner in the experiment. But those who were interviewed after the experiment, those who continued after only Prompt 3, that is, being told it is absolutely essential that you continue, they appealed to the idea that they were doing this for for science, or because it was important. In other words, for something greater than themselves. The appeal to an idea of something greater than themselves meant that they could continue to harm another human being, even to the point of death. If we believe that we are on the right side, that what we believe is right, then we allow ourselves to hurt others, even kill others. And the question bubbles up again. Tell me what you see. And with that, I come back to the quote from Miss Jones. Because when she asked a young Cory Booker to look around him to describe the neighborhood, the question tested him, revealed an amount of pessimism and perhaps fear. But then she turned it upside down. Miss Jones told Booker that, quote, if you see hope, opportunity, if you're stubborn enough to every time you open your eyes see love in the face of God, then you can be a change agent here. Then you can make a difference. End quote. Philip was asked by Jesus to describe what he saw, and Philip did. There was anxiety there was fear. Then another disciple walked forward with a young boy who was willing to share his five loaves and two fish, to which Jesus responds, Make the people sit down. Now, tell me what you see. Because Because I do still believe that if we really look around at what is around us, through the eyes of love, through the eyes of God, we will see the humanity of everyone around us, the goodness that is still there. We will listen to that part of us that says no, to actions that dehumanize others, those voices that tell us that we have to hurt them for the the greater good. 
It may require some stubbornness to see that good in ourselves, that good in others. But then again, miracles have been known to happen. As a note of explanation, I am a clinical social worker, and I work in a fairly rural area with few clinicians. So if you're a licensed mental health professional like me, it is a place where you can still make a good go of it in private practice. But what that also means is that you will work with a wide variety of people, even more so if you are willing to and competent working with children. For me, I see children, adolescents, and adults with a few older adults and couples thrown in, too. It can make for a fun and varied day in the office. If you're listening to this recording and it's helpful, I'm glad. But um, please know that listening to something like this, while it may be educational and helpful, is no substitute for seeing a clinician. So I hope that you're able to find somebody in your area that, uh, that you feel a good alliance with and can be helpful to you.